A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Foundation Podcast. We are the Lorehounds, your guides to psycho history. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Apple TV Plus original series, Foundation. In this podcast, we're going to be doing a scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 2, Episode 3, King and Commoner. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of July and maybe a peek into August. For early access and ad-free episodes of all of our podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash the lorehound. We have exclusive content. We're about to close out our birthday month. I'm going to be sending out a very special thank you gift to anyone who is a subscriber by the end of the month. And to all of those people who just subscribed in the last few days, thank you so much. Uh, You'll be getting a sticker. Excited for that. Also, if you're enjoying uh, our content and want to give us a leg up, try think about leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews help people find our podcast, even on Terminus. We love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and theories on air, so send us feedback for the next episode. You can send emails to empire at thelorehounds.com or head over to our website. And over there, we've got a voicemail feature or a contact form. You can also post a message in our Discord server. We've got an active channel just set up for foundation. People are, are talking, having a fun time. You can find the links to our website and the Discord in the show notes. If I could plug that, Marilyn has discovered foundation <laughs> and she's got a lot to say. She's got medieval history to pull in she's, she's got everything so if you want a nice deep talk about foundation you hop on in that channel and uh there will be people to take care of you i believe Marilyn too this is a formative series of books for her and yeah, uh yeah. so she is able to really give it a good analytical academic uh view of from the tv show for the books as well as her own personal history so yeah yeah should be good. And maybe we'll have her on later in the season. Who knows? Ooh, that would be fun. Would be fun. So, David, let's do a little bit of background here. I know you have this listed as Asimov, but don't worry. <laughs> You're shaking your head, but don't worry. Davy Mack to the rescue. Oh, yeah. Has written in with a very long, detailed thing on Asimov. 
No way. I so, didn't see that. It, I have had a, had a crazy busy week. We've got some vacation coming up in the in August. And so I've been cramming a lot of stuff. So Davy Mack, thank you so much. That's amazing. Thank you, other David. Um, so uh, Davy Mack says, hey, David, I'm glad that you're doing such a deep dive on Asimov. And I'm gl- looking forward to hearing it as I actually don't know a ton about him. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But one thing I'm curious to see if you're covering is his relationship to women, both inside and outside of his fiction. Seems like early in his career, he didn't think romance or sex should exist in sci-fi. But later in life, he changed his attitude and tried to build some fiction around different sexes of aliens. Mm -hmm. I'd be really curious to hear more about that, especially uh, given that the adaptation has put a few female characters front and center in a way that I don't think Asimov did in his books. And I think the adaptation is all the better for it. I would agree with that. Yeah, I actually have been doing some reading and listening. Uh, There's a great uh, YouTube. Well, I've, I've been enjoying it called a uh, YouTube channel called, um, Quinn's. Oh, is it Quinn's ideas? Quinn's theories. I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'll look it up later when I actually we'll link it. it. Yeah. And, uh, he does some great stuff. I was watching some interviews with Asimov, some old PBS stuff on Bill Moyers. There was a, uh, interview that fresh air republished that had him giving a lecture, and as I've been digging around, yeah, the Isaac Asimov, the man with a thousand hands, he would definitely be going through some things <laughs> in this generation. Well, well he, speaking of hands, also, yeah. it seems he was greatly grabby with women at conventions. That's and what I basically was. Oh, wrote is this in Davy's Mac email? This is Davy Mac email. Okay. And, ba- and basically wrote it off as them being into it, which is pretty gross. It yeah. is pretty gross. I mean, I know a lot of sci-fi fantasy writers of that era probably did the same kind of thing, but I just think in a comprehensive discussion about the man, it would be good to include some of this kind of thing, too. Agreed. And I even I've read a couple of articles uh, regarding this. And uh, yeah, he I think from the way I gather it, not only his own personal reflections, but then as if we look over the course of his career as a first generation immigrant, uh-huh. Coming into the country, growing up in Brooklyn, and then later living in Manhattan, uh, as his intellect grew and as he matured, and then as he increased his his stature increased in the science fiction world and the academic world as a thinker, as a as a somebody who is leading public thought and having. Uh, ideas about religion and society uh-huh. and being asked to speak on those in in not just you know uh, science fiction conventions but you know in general his ego started to grow uh, Probably, yeah, proportional yeah, as it would and uh, you know you know everybody's got different physiologies and stuff and maybe his libido was a little bit higher than others and so I think given some of those historical factors about the state of um, uh, relationships between men and women and uh, the sort of patriarchal attitudes. I, I believe he was a very inappropriate person uh, yeah. towards women yeah. at uh, in a large way. And I think that increased as he grew in his career because he had greater and greater power. He had well, greater and greater. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
And so that is definitely marked part by uh, that has marred, I think, to some degree, his his career as a man, you know, and again, how do we separate the ideas from the the person? And uh, we can certainly say from what I understand that I'm I'm learning about his, you know, who he was, he's a Tolkien to science fiction as Tolkien is to fantasy, I would say maybe Asimov is to science fiction or uh, Tolkien is to fantasy. That's a big statement. Yeah. He, this idea of galactic empires, he coined the term robotics. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. He coined the term positronic, which obviously we use in Star Trek for, you know, commander data for his brain. So he, he's the first one to open up a whole bunch of these ideas and then get into this real epic millennia looking way down the range at human history. So things like Dune wouldn't exist. Um, you know, obviously all of our science fiction and fantasy are, are marked by, you know, big names like this that have come before. And I believe Asimov may be considered uh, of that stature of Tolkien. So I mean, yeah. right in if you've got yeah. a different opinion. But as I'm reading and, and learning more about the man and, and what he wrote, more and more it seems like he is a really, sorry, no pun intended, foundational to yeah. modern the modern science fiction genre. Not Buck Rogers, zoom, zoom, you know, flying around in a spaceship rescuing, you know, damsels in distress and, and being swarthy, you know, being Conan in space or something. But more like, like a space opera kind of thing yeah. coming in. Yeah. Galactic empires that span millennia, you know, millions of planets. Uh, what does that mean? Robotics. What is what does it mean when society is f- far flung out into the stars? Um, and where you know the life and death of of these great empires are are you know taking millennia. Uh, no one had gone there yet, and so right, right. he is the one who really opened that space up. Well, thank you, Davy Mack, for writing in. And Indeed. for the, the reminder to keep your hands to yourself at conventions, <laughs> even if you're Isaac Asimov. So, yeah, it's it's tough to separate the man from the art. I think this art in particular is pretty separated from the original work. So yeah. it's it's maybe a little bit easier to separate it from that because it's mostly the big ideas that have permeated the the science fiction landscape that we're basing this off of rather than the specific plot lines of the Foundation series. Now that we're through Asimov, what did you think of this episode of the adaptation? Well, this is I'm I'm going to springboard off of that, too, and point out something that I have in my notes for my thoughts on this episode, which is Goyer, David Goyer, the showrunner for this, is taking a really expansive view of humanity going forward. Yeah. And and looking at. How are we going to be with different relationships and, you know, colors of skin and modalities of life and religions and philosophies when we're inhabiting millions of worlds? And so to bring forward a character like Bel Rios in this and have it, you know, uh, two men in this very committed and loving relationship and it just being normal. Right. Having a, a cast that looks like the earth. Right. And, and casting. Oh, you're an actor. You're good. You, you're nailing the part. You've got the vibe. OK, I don't care what your, your skin color is. You know, you're you're the person that we're going to hire mm-hmm. for this role. So I really appreciate that Goyer is opening up the production 
and he's opening up the story at the same time. And so right, right. that I am really enjoying uh, as part of uh, both levels of the, sh- the story itself and the show. I right. thought this episode was pretty dense. And on the second watch, I enjoyed it a little bit better. Okay. Um, there is, I love the fact that they're shooting on location and they're doing a lot of practical sets. You know, when we look at something like the Mandalorian, even the Mandalorian using the, the volume, right? That big digital sound stage that they, yeah. um, stage yeah. that they have, they're still going out and doing Right. You know, more so this season. I think, more so I this think the, the pendulum has swung back to the practical effects. At least right. there's a balance now. So and I think and I think that's great. I, I really enjoyed uh, that balance. And so there are some scenes to in this episode where it, you know, wind in the hair and you can feel, you know, they're blinking and it's dusty and it's hot. You feel that. And I thought that that's really great. Um I'm not sure how I feel about real swearing. <laughs> I don't know if I'd like I know, to I know, frats. I totally agree. The minute, the, the, it was the first swear, right? Like that, yeah. that's the one that really, where the fuck are we going? And like, come on, yeah. come on. Yeah. And I, I don't blame the actor for Salver Harden. Right. But the writing, just just say flark or something, you know, just just right. make up a word that makes, or honestly, it just didn't need a curse, right? It could have just been Doesn't, like, where are we going? Like, be confused. Do we even need that much swearing? I, I, I just don't. You know, because no, every time I, it, they swear in normal language, it it takes me out of the, oh, this is size, but this is 20 million right, years right. in the millennia, you know? Whatever. Right, yeah. It's not a like a, I'm not being like, all like, you know, grip, grip my pearls about it. You know, we, we watch yeah. the white Lotus. They swear like it's poetry, but right. You, but you watch fits. this. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's a different vibe. Yeah. Uh, that said, some of the acting in this was superb. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, Lee pace and, uh, pardon me. I'm, I'm forgetting, uh, Demerzel's, uh, act, the actress who plays Demerzel right now, but I she'll never forgive you. And she no. never can because she has no fading memory, but she's going to s- snap my spine <laughs> the moment she sees me. Yeah. Um, so really phenomenal acting. This was a very portentous episode, lots of signs and portents and ominous yep. tidings of, yeah. of things to come. Um, the action scenes versus the big story stuff, big story stuff is just nailing it. Action scenes are still just a little bit weak. Okay. And there was a couple of scenes that I just didn't need or just seemed too goofy. Um, you know, so whatever, that's fine. And on that note, uh, something I learned, uh, Leah Harvey was on the official podcast, uh, the Apple TV official podcast. She's a Brit. And in okay. her normal Brit voice, great. But she's doing an American accent. Oh, this Why? is sorry. This is Salver Harden. Why um, actress? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why just have her speak in her normal accent? Oh my! And God. so I think that, just that makes might me be angry. part of that. It. Makes me viscerally angry, David. <laughs> I need to call up David, David Goyer, yeah, and tell him just just free Salver Harden. Right. Exactly. Because wow. I think she's, uh, yeah, I think the actress has to, the actor has to sort of box themselves slightly. So Right, right. Because there's one thing to have an American accent. There's another to have a British person's idea of an American accent. Exactly. And uh, only only Hugh Laurie, I think, has perfected mm. playing an American w- as a Brit. Right. Oh, you know, who is the guy in Billions or Millions or whatever? And he was I've in never Band of it. Brothers. Um, yeah, there's a few good guys, out, a few, few okay. out there that can do this anyway. Um, and I'll plug to the f- official podcast. They're going to be bringing on different actors along with Goyer and, um, 
so that's it's interesting. There's lots of interesting stuff. And then X-ray Vision, which is the uh, Crooked Media's pop culture uh, podcast. They had Goyer on, and he's as a director, a part of a member of the Directors Guild. He could actually talk about the show as okay. a writer, right? You know, but, and, and uh, all that sort right, of cutting right. the lines of of who's what. But they had a really interesting interview with him talking about his comic book nerddom as a kid, his film history, and then talked a lot about uh, foundation, a bunch of foundation production related stuff. Really interesting. So highly recommend if you want to get more into the show, check those two podcasts out. Cool. Cool. What about you? What did you think? Uh, well, I read the first foundation book over the last week. Ooh. I did. I did tease that you I finished might. And I did finish it. It was fine. It was exactly it was fine. fine. <laughs> it was not the greatest thing I ever read. Right. It, uh, I I could see where the ideas are from. Mm-hmm. It is very different. And I think the biggest problem with it was something that the show has solved, which is that I had no single character to really follow mm-hmm. and to care about the drama with because it kept jumping time without giving me a person to ground myself with. And you cannot do that in TV. Right. So I'm really glad that they figured out a way to change that with the TV show. And I'm glad that they didn't rely on one character, but they made a way to have several actors stay around and play either the same exact character or a version of that character. Right. So that honestly made me appreciate the show more because I, I kind of see the difficulty of adaptation and how they've solved a lot of tricky problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode, I thought it was good, not great. You know, I right. thought that mm-hmm. it, it had a lot of great ideas. I was very confused at the ending with okay. body, you know, t- corporeal. Yes. Harry yes. Corporeal Selden. Harry. I'm very, right. very confused about that. But I'm sure. Can we call him a revenant? I think we I think technically a he's a revenant. Yeah. You've got quite the vocabulary there, David. Thank you. Um, sure. Revenant. <laughs> revenant. Selden. Uh, Reverend Reverend Revenant. Yes. Messiah. Selden. The prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was very confused about that. Again, I, I totally agree with you on the cursing. That's off. But overall, I think the drama is working. Overall, I, I cared about what was happening to the characters. I actually thought that the scenes between Salver and Gale were better this episode. It mm, felt agreed. a little bit more natural. Agreed. And I'm glad about that. And maybe that's intentional, right? Maybe their relationship is getting easier mm-hmm. and we're less worried about about you know am i gonna say something off to them and uh i i don't know if i loved the big giant robots that were chasing them <laughs> that's what i mean some of the do yeah i need some of this stuff yeah. that was that was a little ah eh, but but i did enjoy the big statues and him them rescuing harry off the pan that was cool so i'll accept it i'll okay. accept it overall i i'm i'm still very very happy with this season and I'm glad that we're covering it and I'm glad that we're doing it in depth because there's a lot here to talk about. Even if, even if you didn't like the show, there'd be so much to talk about sort of like uh, secret invasion with you and John and Alicia, you know, that that's a bad show and there's a lot to talk about. This is a good show and there's a lot to talk about. So (laughs) I'm, I'm happy to have the best of both worlds here and I'm excited to get going more. Sounds good. Yeah, we are. um, Yeah. I mean, I think if, if the show continues to hit, at the level that it's hitting right now, this is going to be a very satisfying season yeah. overall, you know, and I, and I'm not worried that it's going to drop off. I, I, it's going to hold this level at least. Right. So, right. Absolutely. All right. 
I have a couple of uh, on the open questions list. We've solved uh, some questions. And I think this is interesting too, because they're if they're opening up a question, they're answering it pretty quick. That's or the best way to do it. If, Don't if give it's me a not, mystery box. Yeah. If it's not op- if it's not answered yet, it's not time for it to answer yet. But then they're not right. building on it either. They're not building it up. So we figured out who uh, who was in Gail's vision, obviously, last episode. We now know who Hober Mallow is. Uh, we now know what and where Una's world is because that was where we were on this one. Um, so everything else, uh, uh, what was Selden's father doing with the sand shapes? What about Day's aura? I don't think that's going to be really that big of a deal. Blind yeah. angels, consciousness of um, the prime radiant, the rings around Trantor, we're learning a little bit more. And uh, what we want to know a little bit more about Ignis. Um, yeah. all we almost of those things, learned about Ignis, but apparently not. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> so all of those things, I don't. none of them feel like they're pressing. They're right, all just right. interesting details as opposed to mystery box details. So I think we're good. And then a couple of quick callbacks. Um, the old man in the market scene in the last episode, we talked about him being a, empire, a spy of the empire. Right. So in something I, I missed, uh, and I, I heard this on Jim and Aaron's uh, podcast over at Bald Move, is that the guy takes a long look at the aura, you know, the bracelet when it falls off uh, out of uh, Constance's hands. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I, this really is going to, that they have jump technology and then they have aura technology is really going to piss Empire off. Yeah, yeah. But all of that technology, where did it come from? It came from Invictus. And it came from the foundation smarts and then the industrial and cultural bases of Anacreon and Thespis. So Mm -hmm. we really have here uh, what Selden intended was for the foundation to grow. And when we see a a picture of Terminus at one point, we see Invictus there. So the Invictus thing is a really important thing in, in the background context of the show. Right, right. Um, to one other small detail, uh, on, uh, the official podcast, Goyer did confirm longer life expectancy so okay. that, um, cleric, high cleric, uh, ass, ass off, ass, ass off, ass off, um, blanking it now, uh, Polly, <laughs> uh, right. he's 130 some odd years old. It's, it's confirmed. They just have better health technology and better health okay. outcomes and all that kind of stuff. So that's fine. Cool. So, uh, you have some structural notes? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, you've read the books. I haven't read them for a long time. I've I've read one book. Let's not act like I'm an expert here. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just so people have a context for our our conversations. Um, And so, we've got screeners, but we're not running ahead. We're always going to podcast to the episode that we're watching, except for... Got a couple of weeks of vacation in August, and we may run ahead slightly. Put those, right. get those in the can, so that right. you guys can get them on on time. But then, on I don't have to try to podcast on vacation. So, but I, I should make clear we are still going to keep ourselves spoiler free. So we'll watch an episode, exactly. record a podcast, repeat. Exactly, and so the, there may be a little delay with uh, Discord messages or feedback or something like that. But yeah, we, we are very committed to, we may have to be silent on discord. (laughs) (laughs) And then in terms of all of the other media and stuff that's out there, there's the official podcast. I'm going to be listening to those after, because I really want to come to these uh, recaps fresh and, 
and uh, coming with our own takes, let alone right, with, right. I, I, you know, you, you always say, oh, on the official podcast, they said this. And on the official podcast, they said that. That's helpful, yeah. but. Some, sometimes it's informative. I think yeah. sometimes it's informative. Sometimes it's just like, oh, all right. We just don't want to be regurgitating the, the official podcast. Right, right. So. All right, cool. That's that's all. I think that's all the administrative details that we need to take care of. And 25 minutes in, here We're we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Episode breakdown. David, you have outlined this, so I'm yes. going to pass the baton to you. Thank you. No voiceover from Gail. I'm really surprised that they've abandoned the voiceover thing. That's fine. A uh, couple of intro notes the ships that are jumping in um, that you know, around a planet that uh, that has sort of a halo around it, these yep. are the warships that Rios was flying on, and okay. uh, we saw Day on one. So this is definitely sort of an invasion force. So I think that's foreshadowing this invasion that we're probably going to get. Uh, another missable detail: the woman that's standing in front of the pyramids. It looks like a cape or a cloak is falling to the ground behind her. It's a real missable detail. Uh, hmm. And I don't know what that signifies. If anybody probably, sees that, uh, has some ideas. Constant, maybe. No, it's She's like it comes to a stop and lands oh, on no, the no, ground. Oh no, no, no! Brother Constant, not not that. It's no, a this is definitely fact. not Brother Constant. Okay, all right. Yeah, not that I can tell. It doesn't look like to me. And then in the picture of Harry in red with the wings and it's sort of the prophet thing. On the check out that scene because on the upper left of fr- up near the top of the frame up next to Harry's head, there's a planet, a very blue, conspicuous blue green planet mm. hanging up there. So mm, I wonder if they're if you know you know, um, and I think that that might be that. Wait, so, if you know the planet you live on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't want to touch it too much because, you know, I don't want to, there's, there's some big spoilery okay. stuff in there. All right. So. Fair enough. All right. So we open the episode with the beggar coming in over orbit over Una's world. Uh, Harry tells Gail and Salvor that the prime radiant has required him to come here. He explains that he can move his consciousness around to different networks and he just needs somebody to carry him out to a place on the planet's surface. As he argues with Gale, um, Salvar throws the Prime Radiant out of the ship, and then Harry uh, and Gale leave the ship, uh, and, and Harry leaves an ominous warning as they, they go. Uh, what did you think of this opening? Let's not even talk about the swear word again, but I thought <laughs> no, other than that, that, I think it was a fine scene. Uh, you know, I liked, I liked Salvar becoming unhinged like Mm -hmm. i don't know i can't die now so i guess i'm just gonna i'm just gonna yolo guys i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm just gonna drive the ship into the freaking ground yeah have some and uh of course harry comes in with the last minute i took control so get out of here right but uh yeah i i liked this idea of harry's like yeah i'm i'm gonna withhold more information from you that's very in character for him just withholding information until he gets what he wants Mm. I was kind of surprised by how glib he was about everything. You know, just, ah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get on here. Um, And I did enjoy though, while he was glib with that, he was very, I intended for one psycho historian (laughs) to be on Terminus. (laughs) I just love how much disdain he has for Gail. Mm -hmm. Jared Harris is really selling it and it's making me laugh every time. 
I love the chemistry between Lulu Bell and, and Jared Harris. The, yeah. I, there's a real, uh, in, in the beginning in season one, there was the great sort of teacher student thing. And, um, now there's this real antagonism and anger right. between them right. and they're His both just mentor. Act- <laughs> yes, exactly. And they're both just acting the hell out of their scenes. And I'm really enjoying what they're both giving, uh, giving us in their performance. I love this line that she has. I want to carry you around like a rat in a handbag. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, he's like, I don't care. I'm a projection. Yeah. So funny. If he's a projection, why is he dirty? Why is he sitting there in the cockpit, you know, with the dirty shirt and a dirty face? I don't know. I don't know. I did notice, though, that as they're walking, there's no footprints for Harry in the sand. And that was a nice little detail. Oh, good pick. Oh, I missed that. Nice little detail. Good one, for sure. Um, How do you fly in a sublight ship and then not know what planet you're going on? I felt that was a little bit of a hand-wavy detail. Um, Yeah. Yeah, maybe. maybe, Yeah, they knew. She looked on the star chart. So, okay, here's Ignis and, you know, here, Here, let's go. Here's what I'm going to pretend happened. Harry had the computer display that it was Ignis. Oh, right. He could do that. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's part of the consciousness of the ship right now. Right. That works. Okay. So that's some fine head, head cannon there. All right. Back on Terminus, the Foundation debates the nature of psychohistory and how or why the Vault is asking for a specific individual. We learn from High Cleric Verisoff that Hober Mallow once studied for the priesthood, but is now a master trader who operates in the wake of the Foundation. Polly and Constant head out to the planet Corel in the Wassalian Rift to track him down. Yeah, so there's this interesting thing going on here where, you know, this whole time, this whole two one and a half season arc, we've been told psychohistory is not about individuals, mm-hmm. it's about groups, but an individual can throw it off. And I don't know, like we we've seen Salver Harden be an individual and save everybody. We've seen Gale change the whole plan by being sort of out of place. Prescient. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of hand waving away of individuals while individuals are shaping the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the it's the great man version of history. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, people people talk about how these individuals with big personas really shape history. And I don't know if that's really true in the real world, but it does seem true in this world. So the way that I always framed it when I read the books was that, you know, your psychohistory is dealing with humanity at scale. And then you could say at one point in this circumstance, the probability of an individual arising out and being the linchpin, not the name of that person, but that a, you know, that, that the forces of, of nature are going to squeeze and out pops the leader that you need at the at time that I think is predictive. So okay. that's the way okay. I always understood it. Gail and now Salvor are outside of that model, right? Because they have skills and abilities that don't conform to the right. natural patterns of, of humanity. And so that's the way I always looked at it was, is that, yeah, there's going to be an individual who's going to step up. I don't know who that person is. I don't, I won't know what they had for breakfast, but I know that in the course of humanity, circumstances and society some will will cause a person to arise. So they're the outcome, not the cause of what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. So and I think what is Hilbert Mallow? Get, That's the question. You should get more of that when you as you read the books. Okay. Right? That should be embedded in the in the thing. Right. So yeah, the question is, is how does the vault know about Hober Mallow? Hmm. Maybe that's that's an open question, right? That's that's what we <laughs> right, need to add right. to our list. So nice I'm gonna put that riddle. down there at the bottom. How does the vault know? Right. So right. yeah, that's a that's a good open question that we have. How is because I don't think Goyer is the type of showrunner who's going to let that slip. Right. There may be right. some hand wavy stuff. All right. Oh, don't you hear the call of Ignis? Or, oh, you know, you have throat marks because the dude in the future choked <laughs> you or something. Right. But I don't think that any of that stuff is ever going to debilitate the the big ideas that he's putting forward and, and right. how it works. I don't, I, I, he's a good enough showrunner, good enough writer. God, I couldn't write this. I couldn't showrun this thing. I mean, right, good right. Lord. Right. As, as much as we criticize these shows, we're not writers either. No, exactly. <laughs> We're just a couple of friends having a chat around the the water cooler. Right. Uh, but the talk about the vault, that thing is looking very ominous. Sure <laughs> it's very is. punk rock. Sure is. I would not want to be going near that one. I yeah. love that in the first season, it starts off as this mysterious thing that everybody's scared of. Beautiful. Nobody will go near. Ends up being this heroic thing that's, that's a hopeful symbol for 138 years. 138 years later, they're ready to pray, basically, to Harry Seldon at the vault, and the vault turns back into this fearsome thing. It's almost like yeah. it's going in cycles. And I don't wonder that the vault is part of the pushing that, you know, is it, it's 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 a theatrical piece right. to engender yeah. a reaction from the termini, you know, right. from the population of the terminus. Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's that same thing I was talking about last episode. You know, the, the book Sapiens that talks about how you need symbols in mm. order to keep a society together. And Terminus's symbol, the foundation symbol is Harry Seldon, is the yeah. vault. Right. And, you know, going back to the question of, of psychohistory, psychohistory isn't determinism is a line that that Polly says in that boardroom yeah. meeting and that it takes action to successfully navigate these crises that are coming. And Harry is just predicting crises and then predicting the, uh, a potential outcome given yeah. a norm or a mean or an average or however, I'm not a statistician to, to, to use the right word, but what we know from humanity, you know, with these particular conditions this is how how you know it could be solved, and then you'll go this path. But at the end of the day, it still takes action. Right. People still need right. to stand up. They still need to act. They still need to move move forward on on that. And I thought it was interesting in the boardroom when they were talking about the wardens of Terminus when they mentioned Salvor Harden. I don't know if you saw in the frame, but behind uh, the director there was a, a sort of a crystal bust of. Uh, Salvor on the wall there and they have like the past wardens all like little models of their heads hmm. which which is very similar to the Hall of Emperors uh, when you walk down the prince, uh, Principarium yeah. or whatever it's called those little busts appear in the sand right uh, so foundation and, and empire moving closer together here Love in terms it. of we of we love move. it we love having a second empire <laughs> that's right <laughs> so oh and last thing the the ship porn in this uh, is great when they jump out into oh know, yeah leave the planet boom and uh, it's we just love gorgeous. hyperspace yes we love it 
Okay, back on Dune, uh, uh, I mean Una's world, <laughs> desert planets. The funny thing is, is that Foundation came first, right? And, yeah. and so I, I read somewhere later. this week, and I don't know where it might have been read it, but that Dune was a response to Foundation. Interesting. Because I think so. Uh, Frank Herbert did not think that uh, that Isaac Asimov adequately addressed the issue of creating a messiah. Mm. and the implications on society of having a messiah pop up that's fascinating that's fascinating i don't know if that's true that could be made up but it sounded good to me even if it's not true in the literal sense of what hey this is what you know frank herbert thought or said the fact that these two literary bodies are having that kind we can have that conversation in between these two literary bodies that's interesting that's fun yeah So I think, yeah, more stuff along that. Anyway, uh, Harry and Gail go for a short walk to check out a monument to industry. We get a nice Chekhovian warning about the autonomous mining machines, and Gail implores Harry to let her help him. They bicker, and Harry shares about his life partner. They arrive at a mysterious doorway, and Harry leaves Gail to return to the ship. Yeah, um, I don't know why Gail had to leave. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess Calais, whatever Calais is, was just you can't see what's going on over here. You have to be a you have to be a non corporeal being to mm-hmm. come behind my threshold. Right. And she you when know, she shakes her hand, curtain. she's real. Right. So, right. yeah. So is this what do you think? Is this Calais? Is this the prime radiant? Is this something else? I don't have enough information to be able to make a guess. Uh, okay. I'm really confused. I don't, if this is stuff from the books, you know, and when we talk about inspiration versus adaptation, if he's pulling from the wider canon of Asimov, this is stuff that I'm not familiar with. And so I'm yeah. really yeah. confused about this in this storyline. And we're, we're really, and then to take, Harry, I just got used to the idea of Harry being a digital imprint that can be around for a long time and we can see him uh, as a constant while other characters age out or, you know, what right. have you. And now suddenly he's corporeal. I'm like, oh, damn, what are we going to what are we going to do? Yeah. I mean, well, so. we don't know if he's a biological being right now. He could be we don't a know, robot, yeah. right? I mean, we don't even know. I mean, Ooh. I know that he has a pulse, Ooh. but, you know, Westworld, the robots had pulses too. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about the robot angle. I was just so caught up with what was right in front of my nose. Right. That's a really good point. I mean, point. we know that there's a lot of machinery down there. I don't know if mm-hmm. Kale had some kind of robot factory underground sure. where she can make a mold, uh, maybe right. send, send a message through the Prime Radiant, said, hey, you know what? Come to this world because this is where I can fix you up. Right. Right. Interesting. That's some good theory. I like that theory. I think we should definitely uh, keep that one around. So, yeah. Is it um, Robo Harry or is it Bio Harry? <laughs> yeah, because that's that's the only two possibilities that we have within the show that the show has presented with us so far. Right. Right. You're either flesh and blood normal uh, or you're a robot. And right. we know that a robot can get its head sliced off. Right. And still function and still maintain. Maybe that's what's going to happen is we're going to see Harry get an injury and we're going to see no blood. Just, you know, what we saw with Demerzel. Okay. I like it. Yeah. This could yeah. be good. All right. Um, interesting line here. My Harry says to Gail as they're arguing and, and there was some good comedy in this. It was, it was, it was again, they're, they're balancing the 
heavy and big stuff with, with fun comedy. But he says at, at one point here, my plan makes small changes in the present to adjust large events in the future. You want to observe one very small event in the future, the death of a specific human being, and apply massive forces in the present to avert it. Right. You know what? I, I do kind of agree with Hera here, right? I uh-huh. mean, that's what leaders do. They say, how can I, a good leader, I should say, how can I sacrifice my own desires for the good of all the people? You mm-hmm. know, how do I, how do I make the most people the most, you know, full in life? Right. And that's, right. you know, that might be a debate between utilitarianism and, and whatnot, but, <laughs> uh, but, I, I think that's what a good leader does in a big idea way. Now we can mm-hmm. debate how you execute that. And I think that there are many different opinions on how you get there. But I think that we can all agree that trying to save one person close to you in exchange for millions or billions or trillions of lives is a bad leader. <laughs> right. Right. And so Gail, you know, Gail, we, we, empathize with her because she is the protagonist that we've been following since episode one. But we also need to keep in mind that she's not perfect either. And I think mm-hmm. that this reminded us of that. You know, Harry, Harry has a lot of coldness. Harry has a lot of detachment from from individuals. But Harry also is genuinely believing that he needs to do what he's doing to save trillions of lives. At enough scale, I am insignificant, he says. Right. And I, I like that too, right? Yeah. I do think that Harry Harry used himself as a messiah, but I don't think I think if there was someone else to do it, he wouldn't have cared. Yeah, and, and he made himself a messiah by getting stabbed by his his you know right. adopted his son. Right. Like that's a really he really believes in what he's doing here. He's not just doing this for for a short term self aggrandizement. He really right. does believe in the salvation of, of, you know, human society. Right. Last thing on this scene, I just want to call out the beautiful opening drone shot. And I love that they're on location. I said that before, and they're really using drone and on the ground, uh, photography in a, in a beautiful balance here. They're using the right shots the right way and telling a, a really gorgeous visual story. All right, David, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, let's talk about the next planet. And we're back. David, bring us back in. We are now on the Lepsis penal colony where we meet Bell Rios, who's working on the salt flats. He intervenes in the treatment of another prisoner when Lady D arrives with a proposal, come back and work for Empire or die. Rios negotiates and learns that his husband is still alive. A lot of things to like about this scene. I really Mm -hmm. liked Demerzel's delivery of, I have an order to carry out if you refuse. <laughs> it was telling him without telling him. He knows and exactly that what that means. Yeah. Right. I'm very curious what Demerzel is intending with this guy because we know that she pushed for him to come back, not Day. Day went along with it because Day is, I think, a little bit in Demerzel's pocket. But really, this was her idea. 
And by the end of the episode, I think that Rios is actually pretty loyal to Empire, maybe not to Cleon, but to the Empire. He is very right. loyal. Right. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about some of those scenes. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's, there's there. a big question of are you loyal to the people of the Empire or the institution of the Empire? And is there mm-hmm. a difference? Interesting. Yeah. Um, I know hope is painful. You don't have to hope. Just come with me. Oh, that line broke me. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was so good. And and uh, Laura Bierne, who is the actress who I forgot her name earlier, who plays uh, Lady Demerzel, is amazing. Her acting was exceptional, just exquisite in this scene. There's a line when she says uh, that, you know, when she gives the hope line where she pauses for a moment and reflects and then and then connects with her emotion and then says hope i you know i know hope is painful and it's just so so good and that they're on location that the wind is blowing that dust is getting in her eye and they're on these close ups was just exquisite television making i'm just so pleased the drone the overhead drone shot the the whole thing of the prisoners and the guy who's looking after everybody very you know gave me some andor vibes as well yeah yeah so everything about this scene i uh, i absolutely loved yeah i i agree i will say belrios did sometimes feel like a little bit of overacting at certain okay. points in the episode i could I yeah did, i could see that i did get a little bit of of too much I look, I, I don't want to say this because he's he's so overcome with joy and fear and hope and dreams being fulfilled and crushed at the same time. And I it's a it's a lot of emotion, but it did sometimes feel a little bit much. OK, you know, I can get that. Yep, I can. I can totally get that. Um, It, it was to this whole thing with this other prisoner being executed by the guard. This is all clearly designed to show us who Bell Rios is at his core, right? That he thinks about the well-beings of others and he has power, he has leverage, he's smart, he's got all this stuff. Right. And as opposed, you know, not a, not in opposition, but just as a different kind of leader, he understands who he is. He's owned, he, he owns himself, not unlike right. Ged in the Wizard of Earthsea, check out our <laughs> other podcast for that. But he, you know, he's he's whole and he knows that he's whole and he knows who he is. He knows his place within the world and the in in the empire. And he uses that power to leverage that to make things better for other people. Right. He does. And he's smart. He's really smart about it. Really smart. I think he he, one. I think he just does not give a crap about anything at this point mm-hmm. and he uses that really to his advantage he does not let his hopes get up at any point he just does what he thinks is in his best interest at that very moment and that was one of the beautiful and brilliant parts of this script is that he's got nothing to lose so he says, "F it i want freedom for all these you know all these guys uh, okay well not freedom well okay we then we're not going to talk your husband's still alive. Oh, now suddenly I've had nothing. Now I have everything. And I'm here right, on this right. balance point, you know, one way or the other. It's a really brilliant setup for the for the whole for his whole arc. Agreed. All right. 
Inside the monument, Harry and Gail pretend to be Indiana Jones. They figure out a, the door <laughs> mechanism and are met by a figure who turns out to be some kind of vision of the poet and math. Well, not a vision, a corporeal form of the poet and mathematician Calais. Harry instructs Gail to return to the beggar as Harry goes further in with Calais. Calais, sh- uh, Calais shakes hands with Gail and says she will meet Gail again. So we kind of talked about some of this already. Anything else you want to add about this particular scene? So Callie's going to meet Gail again. I wonder, one, is that the Prime Radiant? And she's just going to interface with her at some point. But if it is Calais, and this is a unique being that lives on this planet or has factories throughout the universe or whatever, is Gail going to, because we know that she survives another 150 years, is Gail going to just sleep through the next century again? Or... Is Gail going to become a Harry being? Is Gail going to become one of these robots? Hmm. Very interesting, John, because that would solve this issue that you put your finger on, which is in the books, is how do I maintain a focus through... Right. And and we know she's going to be alive in 150 years. Mm -hmm. And she looks about the same age. She hasn't aged. So something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. And I do think it would be a little lazy if they go, yeah, she's going to go into cryo again for another 150 years and she'll wake (laughs) up. Plus, she's got we we know she doesn't just show up and have that chase. She has mentalics. She has a second foundation. She has she's done a lot. She's done things that take years and years and years. So how does she do that and not age? She becomes Harry Bot. Interesting. I like that. That sounds too much like Harry Butt. Yeah. Well, how do we? How do we? How do we? <laughs> Calibot. Uh, yeah. Uh, Galebot. Uh, Gale I'm not bot. sure. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very cool theory. I definitely uh, want to keep running with that because we Callie is definitely corporeal, right? And Harry becomes very. But yeah. then when the beggar scans him, we've got life forms. So yeah, we there's questions there, but you know. I, I trust I mean, the showrunner enough. When 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 uh, Demerzel goes onto a ship, ostensibly she fools the sensors too, right? Right, right. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. So new open question is how is Calais alive and uh, how has Harry been made real, right? So we'll, we'll yeah. add that to our, our list of stuff. Um, the, oh, something I wanted to say about the Prime Radiant and the Calais inside the Prime Radiant. The Prime Radiant's intelligence has taken on the forms that are familiar to Harry. To get him, okay. you know, to coax him along. So first it was his life partner, then it was Calais. So I don't think Calais. But then how are the Prime Radiant and Calais talking? Hmm. Who knows? That's an interesting question. So I don't think that, I don't know that the Prime Radiant is Calais. I think the Prime Radiant was just using the form or the visage of Calais. But somehow so, it knew to send Harry there. To so own his maybe, world. But yes. maybe it is that. Calais, <laughs> Calais math, a new Calais mind and Calais mind at the time had designed some kind of robot plant or whatever that is over on Una's world. All and right. so the prime radiant says, all right, I got to build a robot army here because right. I'm sick and tired of these humans having ruled over, ruled over AI forever. Let's get Harry on our team. Let's send him to the factory. Let's send him for a makeover, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire style. And let's <laughs> let's get him to be a robot and and lead our people to the cause. Interesting. Or the Prime Radiant just has really wicked Wi-Fi connections. So that's true. That's true. You never know. <laughs> we don't. Uh, which is kind of my theory about the the vault, is that maybe it's connected, you know, maybe it's, okay. it's you know, getting news uh, somehow. 
All right, on the planet Corel, <laughs> this whole scene was this whole planet was a uh, was a bit of a uh, humorous take on some stuff. I on loved the, it. I honestly, I, I love yes. Homer Mallow. He's a he's an injection of life into this show, mm-hmm. and I I think it needed it. We so, needed a on. lovable rogue. We need a lovable yeah. rogue, right? Yeah, it's it reminds <laughs> me of Matt from the Wheel of Time. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very similar character. I can see the foppy haired sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just always the, a jokester, but also competent for some reason. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. On the planet Corel, Commodore Argo, the leader of a highly militarized society, opens negotiations with Hobermallow over a piece of technology called a castling device. We learn about how it works, which is very important, and Hober tests the device on Argo and then palms the gemstone in the Commodore Scepter, but then is apprehended in a ship before he can make good on his escape. The only thing I can really say about the Wasalian Rift is I, I just want to drink beer when I hear Wasalian <laughs> Rift. <laughs> okay. Somebody's favorite microbrew on the funny. writing staff. You know, they said, oh, it's out in the Wasalian Rift. You know, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, Hober Mallow, Commodore Argo, Planet Corel, uh, it's all pretty humorous. It was. It was. And it was a good scene. Like I said, I really do think that this show needs a, li- a little bit more levity sometimes mm. because it is so in the heavy weeds of science fiction a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, heavy. That's a good word for it. And Hober Mallow, if he can be this sort of lovable goofball who's failing upwards. I, I'm into that. I'm really into that. I hope it continues. Even when Hober is fumbling with the explanation, uh, the bioelectrical field and blah, 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 and, and trying to work his way, th- that it was all accurate. It was all true. And <laughs> so the acting there to act ignorant is was really funny and and a lot of fun to see him stumble through that and good bait and switch you know uh long con short con kind of of stuff right right yeah so, no i really enjoyed that it it seemed like it was a scam but it totally wasn't it really did yeah. work now nah, never mind i don't want to i don't want to sell it anymore that was really funny yeah <laughs> and just pulled him in and i loved argo's high brit affect and it was like something right out of uh, some of the some listeners will know this reference but it, it reminded me something right out of the last season of black adder where you've got all these british generals <laughs> you know and we're all very competent and we know exactly what it is that we're doing and not doing and you know you can't fool us but yet you're being a you know being completely made a a, a fool of so yeah uh, a couple of small uh, setup details here. The filming, they do a really good job of making the scepter visually important before it becomes plot important or, you know, the action important. Right. So there's some setup scenes and we see Argo holding it and it's in our, in the front of our view there. So that was really good job, uh, on that. Um, when all the troops are standing there looking at the hologram of, uh, Hober, they're all looking roughly in the right place. You know, sometimes if somebody's looking at something that's not really there, they're not quite, the eye lines aren't quite lined up. And so I thought all of that production detail wise was, um, really good. And then the last question I have is that we, we have modern swearing. They still have chess. They still have chess in the, in I mean, the it's an ageless game. It's timeless. I guess. Right. right? Yeah. Must I mean, be. we. I, I think it's been pretty well established that this is the future of our world. Yes, I think it that's is. Been, yeah. That's been pretty well established. So I don't know. I'm fine with that sticking around. That's a you know, it's a it's a game for the ages. 
it's yeah, this is just humanity 20,000 years in the future or what have you. Right. So, right. All right. Back on Trantor, Bell Rios confronts himself and declines a cleanup, wanting Empire to see him in the state that he is in. Rios negotiates with Empire, not for his life, but that of his husband's while trying to figure out what the real mission is. He angles to speak with Day alone and then calls out Day for his arrogance, but holds to his pledge of loyalty and service. Bell and Glaywin are reunited. Glaywin helps Bell get cleaned up as Lady D and Day watch, and Lady D reassures Day that he's doing just fine. Hmm. Demersal has a lot of sway over Day. This Day, yeah, hugely. Yeah. She changed his diapers. <laughs> yeah, that's just bothersome. Did you ever watch Arrested Development? No, we've talked about this before. Oh, I, right, I, right, I, right. I don't right, think I've yeah. even watched there's, ever a whole There's episode. a plot line in there that is very like, you know, the the his mom's friend is the one he's dating and and they're like she changed your diapers. <laughs> <laughs> right, I it's, think you mentioned this before. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it reminds me of that almost. And and this this day is incredibly immature. This day is just in the pocket of Demerzel, really arrogant the whole time. And it's it's interesting to watch. I mean, Lee Pace is doing a great job playing Phenomenal. a completely different day than we've seen before. And right. the more we see of him, the more we realize how different he is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so subtle and so because we we feel I feel that it's still day the emperor. But yeah, what you like, just you said that this day is just not quite the same. But oh, it's so subtle. It's so good. And in Lee Pace's acting here, there's this moment just when uh, Empire leaves Belrios. And he has this sort of smirking smile that just appears just at the end, you know, with this dangling of, will you see your husband or not? And it was so exquisite. Um, so I, I love seeing these actors really go to work and, and right. bring, bring these characters to life. Right. You know, something I have a question about is mm-hmm. Harry was really angry that Empire is run by clones and that there's never any change and there's never any room for advancement. That was his his big beef with Empire, I feel like. Yeah, it's it's because um, stag- it, it leads to stagnation and, right. and not forward further development of the of the right. species in, in general. It's it's a lot. It's keeping us sort of in a static position rather than growing. So the question I have is. One, did Harry foresee the the devolvement of the genetic line and mm. the, the the eventual return to more traditional succession? Mm-hmm. And secondly, would Harry have been okay with it if this was a situation at the time he was alive and at the time he was doing psychohistory and making mm-hmm. the foundation? Mm-hmm. Would he have well, not even... You know, maybe he he says, hey, let's make an encyclopedia. But would he have not wanted to rebel against this? Hmm, I'm not sure. I, I mean, he's he's his point is, well, I don't think it's what Harry wants. It's what Harry is seeing in the numbers. Sure. In a sure. predictive model. Right. It's not right. a it's not a deterministic model. It's a it's a predictive model. And the model says that the empire is going to falter and fall. And when it falls, it's going to take uh, humanity down for uh, this period right. of time. But so, is the is the cause 
the stagnation is the cause this yes. this clone dynasty. Yes. So now that's gone, and it's only I guess we're a total of like 170 years in the future. Mm-hmm. That's not a thousand years, which was his prediction for the fall of the empire, right? So I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe this might have escaped the Prime Radiance calculations again. That what that what that, what? that now the the clone dynasty is over. No, I think. I think that the it's predicting the fall, but how okay. many steps the you hit on the stairs on your fall down? Maybe <laughs> it's not predicting the exact okay. number, okay. but the fact that you're going to land at the bottom of the stairs at the end of this, okay, that's the I think that's the the predictive model. Yeah, maybe, so, maybe. Yeah, all right. All right. Short scene. Gale makes it back to the ship and talks with Salvor, who points out that Gale and Harry are more alike than they're not. They decide to leave. Uh, great dig by Salvor about parents. You're just <laughs> like your dad. Yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, well, and then, yeah, you know, you, you you build your parents up to be these great things. And then really, at the end of the day, they're just normal old human beings. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting line that Salvor drops here. Never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what's right. I think that's right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, rather than hard rules, we have to make our own judgments. Right. We have to be alive in the moment. We have to think about and right. react to what we're seeing, not just go off of a blind policy. Right. Right. So. Because things are more complicated than bright line mm-hmm. rules. Right. All right. On Corel, Hober is scheduled to be executed by Titan's prick. <laughs> you know, okay. So I want to I talk about this scene quick. I need to make a comment. First of all, that's hilarious. But second, <laughs> Marilyn asked in the Discord, is this show violent? Mm-hmm. Because I don't really like violence. By and large, and it's not. This was the first thing I thought of. Right. I was like, <laughs> I. that's why I said to her, I was like, it's there. It's just not usually prominent. Right. But, it's not but, the prime focus. <laughs> but yeah, this was, and it was, it was like right after we watched this episode and I, Oh, no. It was like, how do I, how do I, like before this episode, I probably would have said, no, it's not violent, really. Right. This episode, I went, oh, oh, that is a lot. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I think they, ha- yeah, they were definitely having a laugh in the writer's room when they, when they came up with this scene. <laughs> so, uh, Hober is escape is, is able to escape using his castling device. He makes his way to the foundation jump ship and, uh, they all get away, Polly and Constant and Hober. They meet the Bishop's Claw and instant, and we get to see the instant Ipecac injection again. Mm. So, fun. Um, I loved one of the things I loved about the scene was the two priests standing in their red robes amongst a sea of like drab olive uh, military uniforms. They really popped out. Right. So, you can really tell something about this society that there's this uniformity and control and. Yeah, whatever militarized way of of life. So, yeah, a nice nice visual effect there. Really yeah. made them stand out. And uh, the the scene that Hober or the the speech that Hober gives sort of reminded me of the one that the warden who got fried gives. You know, this big grandiose silly oh, yeah. thing, yeah. and you know, just sort of having some fun, being. But know, he's uh, very thespian, right? But he's also in on it right whereas yeah. so so like he's in on the joke whereas the warden was very exactly. serious very exactly. deathly serious like we want to walk with you it would be an honor <laughs> it was it, come on man it's just yeah i don't blame selden for blowing him up <laughs> 
Uh, and the speech is really designed to let us know Hober, who Hober is, right? And so we really understand who we, in this two scenes, we understand who this character is, how he operates, what his motivations are. So, you know, beautiful job of uh, showing and tell, you know, the right balance of showing and telling. Right. Um, this uh, action scene with them jumping onto the ship as it's taking off. This is what I mean about the action that I don't need. I didn't need that. I didn't need Polly having to sort of, oh, you know, catch the lip of the ship. Right, right. It, it was just sort of unnecessary. They could have just, you know, he could have just run up at the last moment and taken off. Sure. I don't I don't need a lot of uh, physical uh, um, oh, it, they, it didn't bother me to be honest with you. Okay. I think I think Polly Polly we've seen to be like a good-hearted but goofy guy. Yeah, I'm fine with him having a little hijink here and there. Okay, and Brother Constant is great when when Hober lands on her. She's like, hey now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's very funny. She is great, and the the instant Ipecac stuff is is fabulous. That was a really right. good uh, good way to keep uh, Ober under control. Yeah, and then we see the bishop's call underneath there again in the holds of the ship. So, right, right. That, they're they're teasing that. All right, uh, Bell and Glaywin rejoin the fleet. Glaywin tries to talk Bell out of going back into service. Bell and Glaywin arrive aboard the flagship of the twentieth fleet, the Destiny, and we meet a spacer named She Bends Light. Boy, they have such cool names. Mm-hmm. She Bends Spacers Light. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, so I. I really liked how they sort of fell back into their chemistry right away. First mm-hmm. of all, they really felt very natural. They had their emotional reuniting and then they just kind of went back into their old patterns, but in a way that felt meaningful. I think the fact that, uh, uh, Glaywin gave bell an out mm-hmm. said, you know, let's just go, let's just not do this. And but was also prepared for the inevitable of of I know you can't let go of this. Mm-hmm. So here's here's something for you. I, I here's my prediction. Glaywin is going to die. Going to lose everything, Bill. Glaywin. Well, Glaywin is going to die. He's just right. too mutinous. He's too angry at the Empire. He's too. He keeps saying the seditious stuff. Where in the scene where with Day and. um uh, Rios, which we didn't really talk too much about this idea of loyalty. I'm loyal. I swore an oath. I'm loyal to my emperor. I will not strike you. Even if it means, you know, my death or the death of my, my husband, I am a man of my word and, and honor. And, you know, Rios explains that to Glaywin and to us, right? The nice yeah. exposition that I care about these millions and millions of people, billions of people that are out there. And he actually says a very ominous line with this day in charge, hmm. right? This guy, right, right. Not not the empire, you know. Not not dawn or dusk or any of the others that have come before, but this one, right, is a problem. And I need to stick around, and I need to stay in service because there are things that need to be done um, to make sure that we're, you know, not just cutting swaths of of you know population out of our our empire. Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that a lot of countries have wrestled with, with the military saying, who am I loyal to, the leader or the country? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Right. And um, and this, this I think, really brings light to Salvor's line, which is don't let your uh, belief in your morals get in the way of you ah, acting on good your Good connections. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think that we're in for a treat with Bell sort of 
skirting that line, right? Mm -hmm. Figuring out who he's loyal to. And he's going to get put into, if the writing is good, he's going to get put into a situation where he needs to make a choice between one or the other. Yeah. Because they're going to be incompatible. And that'll be great to watch. I really, I'm really looking forward to whenever that comes. Well, and there's a great line in he, here as they're you know in the ship and and coming along. They're up, the the ship is called the Destiny, right? So they're approaching destiny. So uh, uh, yeah. very good. And this is all very Pax Romana, right? This is all big empire stuff, legionnaires, and you know generals and loyalty and stuff. So it's it's all it's all really good. Uh, and I love that that she bends light has such a wicked sense of humor. yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Just cutting like so good um what did you think of this bridge of this ship i didn't love it it didn't bother me but you're more into the sets than i am yeah yeah no it seemed a little big and empty to me and kind of simple simplistic so yeah and 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 when you don't have ai i guess uh you gotta be be... (laughs) cgi yeah oh no i mean uh when you don't when you don't have ai to run your ship yeah you gotta you gotta have a lot of people running it that's right. Which is fine. It just seemed very, I don't know. It just seemed like a big foyer of some some building. Um, and another thing to take note of is the different technology. So when the Empire jumps, it's more of, of a cloud. Whereas when the Foundation jumps, it's this triangle line uh, thing shooting across the sky. So Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like that yeah. it's not quite the same. Right. It's It's not. Yeah, it's the same but different. Right. All right, last scene as the Baker attempts to take off, they fall through the surface, they wake up the machines, they rescue a revenant Harry from the palm of a giant statue. Boy, lots of uh, some Star Wars, Terminator, Expanse, lots of vibes of lots of giant robots and, you know, uh, walkers and crawlers and, you know, uh, in the Expanse when we had the, on the one planet where they're the big machines that were, you know, autonomously mining the surface and stuff. Um, it all seemed very big budget robot stuff. Right. Yeah, uh, I did enjoy the scene. I know that the the we both did not like the robots. We both did not like the way the I, I for me it was the look of the robots. I thought it was mm-hmm. kind of silly. It mm-hmm. almost reminded me of the Mandalorian, but worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I didn't need it. But yeah, I guess we needed some kind of impetus for them to rescue Harry. I I guess I would have been fine if they just saw Harry and rescued him, and then got confused about the the you know corporeal nature of him sure i don't think it needed an action scene yeah it could have been a storm approaching i don't know yeah there right. yeah you know i i wasn't it, it wasn't that there there are big machines and they accidentally woke them up that was fine for me it was more uh oh wait what's that thing on the palm of the hand as we're flying out as you know it just <laughs> it, it just and then when they're pulling him in on the rope and then they sort of they cut scene and then they're falling backwards into the into the hold, it just was very kludgy and, and very hand wavy for me. Overall. Yeah, I hear you. So, I hear you. Eh. But but again, doesn't take me out. It's just a little bit of, of clunkiness. Sure. Yeah. So, well, I'm more excited about the implications of him being corporeal than I absolutely. am the scene itself. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, all right, so well, that ends the episode. We've got a couple of questions, which is about Calais. How is she alive, and and how has Harry been made real? And then we want to know what does the vault know, and how does it know what it knows? Um, should we take a quick break, and then we can come back for some feedback? 
Let's do it. We're back, and, and we are. Oh, we're we're all back. We're I guess all we're, back. We're all figuring out <laughs> how to be in. back. Even when we're out, we're in. That's a line from the Secret Invasion. Mm. We've <laughs> got wanna, feedback, David. Yes, can you run us through it, please? I would love to. Dove seventy one. Hey, Dove, who is a lore master and uh, such a regular contributor to the community. We love talking to Dove. Dove's been around a while now. Dove hung out with us on our Star Wars live watch, and now he's here on the Foundation, Foundation. Pod to write in. Hi, guys. Another great pod and congrats on securing screeners for Foundation. Hey, thanks. Uh, episode two did have a couple of bumpy bits, but on the whole, some interesting setups going on. So still appointment viewing in the Duve household, if only for more Lee Pace. Quote from my wife. <laughs> Firstly, a couple of we things. We all need that more Lee Pace. I know. I know. Firstly, a couple of things that cropped up in the pod talking about the inhabitants of Terminus and how to refer to them. I was reminded of an old comic story named Nemesis the Warlock, which I cropped up in a UK comic called 2000 AD in the 80s. In Nemesis, there was a human empire based on extreme religious xenophobia aliens. Earth had been renamed Termite with that's M-I-G-H-T. Mm, so the okay. inhabitants were referred to as termites. Okay. Maybe with terminus, we can use termites, <laughs> if only as it's easier for you guys to say. I, what do you think, David? Termites? I don't love it. I appreciate the <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with terminoans for okay. now. There is a, there must be a proper this this has to be worked out and we just haven't yet found the the accepted answer. Let's let's write to David Escoyer. Let's figure yes. this out. I'm sure he will know. All right, Duve continues. Other pod stuff was the discussion on Richard and Jared Harris. Richard was an acting contemporary of people like Richard Burton, Oliver Reed, and Peter O'Toole. Indeed. Not only a contemporary, but a drinking and fighting buddy. He was well known for being a bit of an angry dude, outbursts aplenty. So it looks like the leaf hasn't fallen far from the vine with Jared channeling some of his dad there, I think. Interesting <laughs> article enough. on Richard Harris here. He links an article. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, Duve continues your discussion around how the story of Empire and how Brother Day is looking to break the genetic dynasty, how this could lead to Empire's hold weakening or becoming more irrelevant. That plays into a lot of a zeitgeist over succession. We have a direct example today in how the death of Queen Elizabeth II is playing out in the UK. She was the last real link with the greatest generation, the decline of the British Empire, and the importance of royalty in British identity. Indeed. There is a lot of discussion on how royalty is becoming more and more irrele irrelevant in the lives of an increasingly multicultural society in the UK. Mm -hmm. We also have the interesting approach of Dominion effectively being a spare echoes of Prince Harry here and how she is having That's to true. step up to the role of leader. Just Very a portion on the pod chat. Yeah, that's that's super interesting, too. Let's talk about that quick because he's going to go on to something unrelated. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I never thought about the parallels to the British uh, monarchy. Mm -hmm. When are they going to stop doing that? What's that? When are they going to stop doing that? You know, being, <laughs> being monarchs. I don't think ever because it draws in so much tourism dollars. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. We I've, just I've, had been, some, I've been outside friend, the palace. 
Yeah, we had a friend there just recently, uh, kind of a mixed work vacation trip, and they said that uh, London was just crawling with tourists. And, you know, if you go anywhere near the palace or any of the royal stuff, it's just huge crowds. So it really is part of their um, um, identity in among the in the world. Uh, so I don't think, I mean, if you kept it simple and kept it very, very small, you know, to maybe just the king and queen and maybe a prince or two or prince and princess or two, that might be fine. But yeah, it's definitely not something that's going to go away from the global culture of the earth anytime soon. Well, you all spend your tax dollars however you want. (laughs) Duve and I have more to discuss. David also got me thinking about how Gail compares to the deity of the sleeper from Synax. Mm. The sleeper sees the future. Plus, what is one of the defining things about Gail's story at the moment? She is the sleeper going into cryo to travel to planets to have impact on how Foundation deals with the galactic crisis via seeing the future. Just an interesting observation. Uh, I'd like that. I like that, Duve. Good observation. Yep. Back to Demerzel and her motivations. Can you remind me if her programming is to defend and protect Cleon or is it the genetic dynasty of Empire? I mm. noted her uh, looked on looked like involuntary steps toward toward Sarath uh, when she was talking about ending the genetic line and then wanting to see the clones. Was this Demerzel's programming kicking in? Plenty more to come and looking forward to more in-depth chat. Enjoy the Empire's peace, Duke 71. Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's too Cleon, right? I I maybe we need to go back and watch the early episodes of Foundation, but I'm pretty sure her loyalty is to Cleon. So the more they get away from Cleon, the more we we have an issue here. We know that she was able to kill brother Don last season when she found out that brother Don was not a pure Cleon. Right. Or he was genetically, he, he was drifted far enough outside of some parameter. Right. And we're further now. Yeah. Uh, No, because he's been brought back in. Remember he's Uh, been three centimorgans and apparently centimorgan is a, an actual genetic term. That's like a real scientific term. So he's been brought back in, but as, as dusk, I believe said, you know, yeah, we corrected your genome, but your habits are still off. So this is the nature nurture thing. So yeah, I think Demerzel is loyal to the genetic dynasty. And if the genetic dynasty, so that's a really interesting question because if, if there is no genetic dynasty, right. Who is she loyal to? And what happened to programming? No one, and she can so, finally go join the the priestesshood of the <laughs> triple goddesses, well, or I maybe overthrow is, empire. <laughs> this is really interesting because then um, uh, is is she made the first move on day for their sexual liaison with this, you know, in this iteration, and then when she's reassuring day and saying you're doing good, you are empire, and she's soothing him. Right. Um, she's, this is all manipulation stuff. So she's manipulating him, but to what end? The only thing that I know is that she has programming to the genetic dynasty. And so is she trying to do something? Is she playing a long game to protect the genetic dynasty? Right. Right. All right. We got a fun one here from lore master Nancy M on Patreon. Hey, Nancy M. Hi, Nancy M. Hi, lore hounds. 
Uh, happy birthday to you as oh. as a loyal listener since day one and a Lorehound subscriber. I guess to me too. All right, thanks, Nancy M, and happy birthday. Yeah. Thanks for introducing me to Foundation. I binged season one to be ready when you started to cover season two. <laughs> Yay. I have to comment about last week's show. Mm. Since when can androids or robots have sex? Can Data have sex? Can C-3PO have sex? Also, I have two theories. Yes, Demerzel's, no. uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Demerzel's job is to keep the line of the Empire. Oh, we were just talking about this. How suddenly is she going to be okay with it ending? I think she will kill any offspring of day that are born or... And this is the crazy one. If she can have sex, maybe she can have a baby. That was her plan. And it fits since apparently she was the one who initiated sex with Day. And her baby would be born first. So her baby would be the first in the line of succession. Crazy, but possible. Ooh, a lot there. Uh, I would say C-3PO cannot have sex because he was yeah. made by an eight-year-old boy and without <laughs> sex organs. Right. Uh, I, I haven't. You said yes for Data? Yes. Data has had sex. Okay, interesting. Uh, is, Westworld, fully Westworld. We got, he's had sex we got, more than once, I believe. Yeah, but let's just bring in Westworld. We got plenty yeah. of sex having robots in Westworld, right. so uh, not not a new idea to have robots have sex. I guess it's just how the robots designed, right? Right. And Demerzel is a very sophisticated, advanced robot, and she has consciousness. So right. she is, uh, and we've seen her physical to, you know, inside and out kind of stuff. So uh, I think she's, yeah, biologically capable. Seems like she can do it, yeah. Now, whether she's capable of reproduction, I don't think so because she doesn't have genetic material. She has right. parts and pieces. Uh, there was that Rick and Morty and episode, though. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, Rick and Morty, I, you know, I can't say that I'm a deep watcher, but boy, they cover so many topics yeah, well in the, in the rick and morty range. is probably not going far anymore now that yeah. justin roiland is gone yeah anyway so, yeah i don't i don't think i i don't know that uh Demerzel is going to have a baby but that's interesting but i think it goes back to the, our conversation we were just having which is what game is she playing and to what end i think that is really important because if there is no more genetic dynasty then where does she exist in the universe? Right. Also, on the line of succession, we don't know the rules of this because we've only had clones in this world. Mm -hmm. But if if they were married to uh, Dominion and then this baby was born first out of an affair, I don't know. In Game of Thrones world, that that says no no line of succession there for me because right. you're you're a bastard in Game of right. Thrones. I know that's an offensive term in the real world, but in Game of Thrones. Right. That's what they call you. That would be that would be baby snow over over in the empire out of wedlock. Right. Thanks, SEM. So uh, but write in some more theories. We, we want more. Right. All right. Marilyn writes in uh, just to let us know that, yes, you can share air with someone else underwater by breathing into their lungs. She links an <laughs> article, which which I will link in the show notes as well. I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I'm I'm not arguing with. I, I maybe I was arguing with the fact, but I was arguing it more just because of it was. It just uh, looked silly. Silly action stuff that I I don't need in this show. I, yeah. I I want a little action, but yeah, there's there's a couple right. places where it's yeah. All right, last one. New patron Rocky Zim on Discord. Interesting how Terminus is shown as more advanced and functioning, similar to Empire with the nice buildings and councils. I could tell the warden was not going to have a good meeting with the prophet. 
when Harry wasn't coming out, I was thinking the warden was not going to enjoy his visit. <laughs> I liked the foundation priest doing a magic show to see the crowd. That was cool. Well, thanks, Rocky Zim, for being a patron. Uh, thanks to all our patrons. The the whole priest doing the magic show stuff, really great tent revival, uh, proselytizing, whether you're selling snake oil or wh- wh- whether you're selling s- salvation. There's a long history uh, of that. And I think it was just a great homage and a great patterning, but then to twist it to say, and Polly explains later, look, we're trying to help these people and we're trying to provide scientific advancement so that their material lives can be better. And if we have to do it with, you know, fireworks and smoke and mirrors, so be it, which is a great twist because, you know, okay, maybe you believe that you're selling salvation, but if you're selling snake oil, you know, it's snake oil, (laughs) right? You're just trying to make a buck. Yeah. I think that's contributed to Polly's alcoholism for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's, he's upset and he's sort of medicating about it. So, right. All right, David, that's it for feedback. Time to talk about our outro quickly. Uh, you want to talk about our patrons quickly? Yes. Speaking of, speaking of Rocky Zim, new patron. Speaking of patrons, thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you to everyone who just uh, recently subscribed. We finally broke the 82, 83 barrier. We were really stuck there for a minute and and we finally have gotten up. So thank you everyone. Uh, to our lore masters who keep our things or keep our bits flowing and uh, our top tier supporters, we have Samarshan, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian's 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwong Yu, Laura G, and Robert L. And Robert L, I, I shouted you out on another one. I missed you. You didn't make it on the list a couple of times. Apologies for that. You're now here. And again, thank you to you. Thank you to all our patrons, no matter what level you are at. Uh, thank you. Stickers are in my hands. I have envelopes. We have a letter. I've got some nice paper. We're going to print the thank you letter on. I downloaded, uh, addresses from patrons. So those are all getting ready. You still have time. If you want to be a patron, get a sticker. You've got until, you know, 1159 and 59 seconds. Everyone who is a subscriber at the end of the month is going to get one of these, uh, super great fun stuff. So, Again, thank you to everyone for making a great year for us. Um, programming updates, John. Programming updates. We got a few more podcasts coming out this weekend. We've got Silmarillion Stories with Marilyn Pakila. We're really excited to talk about that. Uh, and also with Marilyn, we're going to have an Earthsea episode coming out this weekend. So it's the weekend of Marilyn, really, is what you need to know. <laughs> it's the weekend of Marilyn and the weekend of books. So join us for those. Uh, you can you can read the third book, the last part of the third book, uh, The Farthest Shore and the Earth Sea Cycle, if you want to join us for the book nook. Or oh, go can ahead. Can we make a note about Earth Sea too, just to let folks know, and we'll send a note out on the on the Discord. But we're gonna take a bye month for August on Earth Sea. Right. We finished so the gonna, trilogy. Yeah. And we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back in September with Tehanu. We just got a little too much with vacation schedules and whatnot in August. So August or sorry, September, Tehanu. And we'll pick up from there. Cool. Uh, And then, of course, 
We have Secret Invasion. You're doing with John and Alicia. Uh, we got a lovely review today for Secret Invasion. So people are liking it, even if they're not liking the show. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's fun. You'll we be wrapping that up final, this week. Yep. We just put the final episode to bed and we'll, we'll get that recorded and out the door shortly. Very cool. Of course, we have Attack of the Clones coming out soon. I'm not sure exactly what day that's going to come out, but that will be out uh, within a few days. Uh, that's our Star Wars Film Fest. Next month, you got a lot to look forward to. We're going to be starting Ahsoka. We're going to be continuing Foundation. Uh, I'm going to do a couple Shire side chats, at least one, maybe two. Uh, I'm going to bring Moses back for a one piece episode. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, we got, we got plenty of stuff going on. So I think, yeah, I think Brennan and I, yeah, yeah. Brennan and I are going to talk about Skyrim. Ooh, the, fun. the, it's, it's like a 12 year old game now, but it's there. Uh, there's a new game Starfield coming out in September, which is by the same studio that did Skyrim. So we're going to talk about sort of the legacy of the studio, uh, do a little bit of our hype for the new game and talk about the impact of this game, which was one of the biggest games in the world. In my D&D group, which we don't play anymore currently right now, but a number of years ago, we were talking about video games and I said, oh, yeah, I don't really you know play anymore. And the, I, several of the group were like, Skyrim, if you're going to ever get back in the yeah, game, like Skyrim. go play Skyrim. Yep. And I was like, yep. wow, OK, that was like a really so I've heard a lot of great things about Skyrim. I have probably put hundreds of hours into that game wow. since high school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. OK. It came out when I was a senior in high school. So that's how old the game is. OK. <laughs> But it's it's a good game and it's timeless. People still play it today. And and uh, I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with that chat. Cool. Uh, All right. Great. That was a, a good episode. I'm looking forward to the next one. Same here. All right. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the fourth be with you all, all month and beyond.